Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome, everyone, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Uh, this is Steve Fielder, your host. Glad to be with you for one more week. We've got dog days of summer, it seems like, all across the country. Everybody's talking about the heat, and some are dry and some are wet. It's been fairly wet here in Florida lately. I talked to some people out in Arkansas uh, saying it's bone dry out there. Someone said here in Florida the other day it was raining so hard there was two inches of rain on the clothesline. So I, I don't know about that. But anyway, I wanted to mention something from last week's podcast with my guest, Courtney Risk. Really appreciate uh, all the good comments that we received on that one. And uh, I got a message from... Alan Gingrich, who is in charge of the field ops department there at United Kennel Club. Everybody, I think, out there that listens to this podcast knows Alan well. In fact, I mentioned last week that he and Trevor Wade uh, have a new podcast of their own called uh, Hunting Ops um, Podcast from United Kennel Club. But anyway, um, Alan was listening to me last week as I talked about Doug Cheek up at the Columbia City uh, Coon Club there in northern Indiana, and I mentioned a guy that I called Mike Copeland. I knew when I said that 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 name didn't sound just right to me, but I couldn't grasp the right name. But I got this uh, message that uh, just... uh, the day before I'm recording this, from Alan, and I want to share it with you because I think it's not only corrects my mistake, but it also um, gives you some insight into the to a fellow that was very important to coon hunting, especially up there in northern Indiana. Uh, Alan said, I'm listening to your podcast with Courtney Risk. Very good listen. He knows his pedigrees. He mentioned Stylish Hack, who won the ACHA World Hunt when Doug Cheeks owned him. You also mentioned Mike Copeland, Doug's buddy. I think you were probably referring to Mike Coulter, and that's exactly right. I was. Mike is the one who kind of took me under his wings and taught me the night hunt rules. He and I probably hunted together more than any other person. He always encouraged me to have a dog ready for a hunt, to know the rules, and to do it right. When he passed away, his wife, Linda, gave me his hunting light and a lead strap. I still have the lead and leather belt that was on his light. He had asked me uh, to be a pallbearer, which to this day is the only time I did that. I think he means that his wife asked him to be the pallbearer. Outside of my grandfather, Mike was my hero and someone I respected more than any other hunter. Just a great, great guy. He was given the Laverne Miller Award and we buried him with that plaque. He always said that was the most honorable award he ever received in the sport. I never would have thought I'd be considered for that same award, but when they awarded it to me, it was the first one I, he was the first one I thought of, and no, he would have been proud. You know, that's, uh, 
I believe, and I've said it in the past, uh, about giving their flowers while the person's living. And, uh, you know, and I asked Alan about uh, would it be okay if I shared that uh, text with my audience, and he said, sure. And he added this. He said, yes, I had much respect for Mike. The Columbia City Club still holds a Mike Coulter memorial hunt every year. There's two photos of Mike on the plaque they give to the winners. Both are pictures I took on one of our many hunts. The other week when you interviewed Jeff Rickless and talked about Hardwood Henry, it brought back memories of when Mike and I judged Henry in the first round on Friday night at the World Finals. Uh... Jeff gave away that hunt that night, but I'll always remember what Mike said when we got back to the trucks. We had treed six coons, but the dogs split and moved around quite a bit, more than what was normal at that time. He said, wow, those were some coon dogs, but those suckers go way too far for me. Can you imagine us pleasure hunting with these four dogs? And then Alan adds, we did put in a lot of back-and-forth boot leather, leather that night. You know, folks, our memories of these hunting buddies that we have are so important. And they get more important every year that goes by. And I remember Mike Coulter and Doug Cheek were always a team that we put together to judge at uh, the World Finals up in that part of the country. And back in the day, in the 80s, we held the World Hunt several times in Indiana. So it's good to uh, remember Mike, and I, I appreciate Alan Gingrich reaching out to us. Well, we've uh, many of my listeners have been saying, where's Fred Moran? I haven't heard him on the last couple of podcasts, and uh, I hope he's doing well. Well, I finally caught up with Fred here. I guess it's more my fault than, than his, but um, I got up pretty early this morning. I know he's an early riser, and I got Fred on the phone. How are you doing, Fred? Pretty good, Steve. Pretty good. It's hot, though. Uh, like everybody else all over the country, it's hot everywhere. Talked to a guy yesterday in Mississippi, Dan Gardner. Oh, yeah. And he he said it's been over a hundred, and this is actual, uh, not uh, uh, guesswork. He says over a hundred every day this week. He says he did go one day for one track and come home, or one night. Uh, mm. They do a lot of hunting in the morning, so and I used to do a lot of coon hunting early in the mornings in the summertime. You go where there's a Water at your tree coon. I'll treat him up to 9.30 in the morning. And I haven't done it in years, but I used to do quite a bit of it in the summertime. So you can see what the dogs are doing. You don't have to pack a light. Uh, you learn a lot more, too, I feel, anyhow. But it's a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, I, I've done a little bit of daytime hunting. We did some in Michigan. Uh in the swamps, it seemed like yeah. if you get them in the swamps in the daytime, there was a fellow up there uh, uh, named Bill, and <laughs> there I am with names again. That last name will probably come to me later, but he was a fellow that liked to uh, – to. he was originally from Arkansas, and I think that's maybe where he had done some daytime 
hunting. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. And then I did some uh, since I've been here in Florida, too. But, yeah, when it's um, 85 degrees at 10, 11 o'clock at night here and the humidity is about 95 percent, it kind of makes you want to stay in the air, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean there. Well, you've been hunting some, though, I think, right? A little bit, about every night. Nah, I missed a couple (laughs) nights. It was just too miserable and hot to go. In fact, just this past Saturday, uh, Patty says, are you going hunting tonight? I says, if it gets dark. And uh, when she came over, I says, it's so darn miserable. I says, "Uh, we'll treat two coon and go home. And uh, we went out, and the dogs did a good job, uh, struck a coon, treated it, and uh, she, she says, here it is, here it is. I says, I don't need to see it. I know what they look like. And uh, I didn't even bother going over <laughs> to where she was standing. We called the dogs and went back to the truck. I says, do you want? I said, we'll go down along a creek somewhere where there's water because them dogs are really hot. And only treat one coon, and uh, they already was uh, panting like heck. And she had one die from heat stroke last mm. year. I said, we don't need that again. And uh, I said, do you uh, want to go to some creek or on? She says, I'm for quitting already. She <laughs> said, it's too darn hot. So she went home, I went home, and that was it. But uh, it's miserable out there. Yeah. I went last night by myself, same place, and I figured I'd strike that coon in the same spot. Well, I didn't. I struck it further. I only have two dogs, and I had them both with me. They both got a handle on them, and they'll listen to a whistle. I won't put up with that stuff. They're dragging you all over the woods like I used to. They're going to listen. And, uh, well, they got out too far too fast and before i knew it i'm looking at the garment i don't hear them they're they're 700 yards away and i don't hear them i start i drove around listen i thought that garment's messed up or something uh finally i walked over the hill a little further than i thought and i could hear them treat they were down a deep hole, 900 and some yards. And one dog got an exceptionally good mouth, one of the better mouths of a dog that I ever had. And uh, I thought, man, I ain't going to walk down that way. I know what's in store for me there. A uh, guy from uh, that you know quite well, Curtis Elburn, was just here mm-hmm. last week. But oh, yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't coon hunting. He was here for rattlesnakes, and I told him I'd fix him up with a boy that would take him rattlesnake hunting. And there's supposedly a lot on this property I was hunting. This this was public hunting land where I was. There's 3,000 acres in there. And uh, anyhow, Curtis, they saw rattlesnakes, and they could have – well, I think they did catch one, but they'd leave it go. Believe it or not, they have laws over here where a snake has to be so long before you can take it. The <laughs> rattlesnake they caught was 38 inches. I think it has to be 42. They did catch a copperhead, and he took it back to Indiana. Uh, wait so a what- minute. Wait a minute. Who's going to hold the snake, and who's going to do the measuring? 
That's well, kind of... he had a, he had uh, where this boy <laughs> did this young kid. I fixed him up with. He started hunting coon hunting with me, and I found out he's into snakes and he's fishing mm. crazy and snakes. He got forty two <laughs> copperheads and rattlesnakes two Saturdays ago. He got oh, forty two. I said, "What'd you do with them all?" He said, "Turned them loose, just like to catch them." Yeah. He showed me a picture of one. He showed me a picture of one fifty six inches long, a rattlesnake, mm. and he told me. He uh, he was a big one, and he says, "I says, would you take him?" He says, "No, I gotta wait." Uh, I think he told me July fifteenth, or it's legal to kill one. I never heard of such laws for snakes, and uh, they're pretty strict too. If uh, I read some of them, and they're pretty strict on these snake hunters, and you're only allowed to take one, and we got plenty. That woods I hunted in last night. Now, I personally never saw a rattlesnake in there, uh, but Packy told me he saw several. He used to hunt there quite a bit. Now, I did kill a big copperhead in there 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. There was an old house there built in the 1800s, and at the time, the dogs was running the coon around there, and they got over the hill, and I couldn't hear them good. So I went up on the steps, to listen on the porch. The house was abandoned for 50 years, but it was one of them old stone block houses. And I got up on the porch, and here there was a copperhead on the one step, and there was an, about an inch space between each step. And I was, the copperhead got scared of me, and he started going between the cracks of the block for the steps to get away from me, and I put my foot on him. He couldn't bite me because his head's down underneath the block, and I got just his middle and his tail. I grabbed the tail, and I threw it at my kid, and he was about 14 at the time. I said, here, here's something for you. And my buddy, uh, uh, Gary, uh, I can't think of Gary's last name. Now, I threw it. You thought I threw a dinosaur at him. They got clubs and beat that poor thing to death. The next day was a qualifier, so I put it in a jug and took it to qualifier and had it on the desk so everybody well, knew what a copperhead looked like. Well, I bet you got nominated for Father of the Year that year for throwing <laughs> a copperhead at your kid. Oh, you should have. <laughs> if you was there to see that, I could have sold that movie to Hollywood. Uh, that well, was something. Let me throw a little bit of my snake experience in it. I don't like snakes. I got black snakes around the house here that I leave alone because they take care of rodents and other snakes and things like that. So I don't mind them, although they do startle me sometimes. Uh, But, you know, when I was in the Air Force back in 69 in San Angelo, Texas, somebody said, well, we're going rattlesnake hunting Saturday. They're having a roundup. And I said, Uh well, no, I'll miss that for sure, because I don't care anything about fooling with rattlesnakes. Well, what they did is they would take gasoline in a, in a, like a sprayer. Yeah, put uh, it down a hole. Yeah, put it down the hole, run the snakes out, and they'd catch them, and then they'd milk them for the venom, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, and then, which they make the anti-venom uh, out of it, I guess. But anyway, somebody brought some home, uh, and also brought me a big uh, diamondback, uh, western diamondback skin, which I still have. 
uh, and all that. But I'm not much of a snake guy. Now, my dad, when he would bear hunt with the boys in West Virginia in his latter years, when he, you know, they'd go in on those deep canyons or up over yeah. the mountain to to the dogs. Well, he'd walk around the trails and the old strip jobs, and he carried his Ruger single six pistol with him with rat shot in it. Mm-hmm. And if he saw a snake, you know, that was his game. So he, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm not Virginia's a big fan. He's got yeah. plenty of them. I, yeah. I, I went to Romany, West Virginia to a night out one night and encountered three different copperheads mm. while I was climbing them hills. I said, yeah. this place ain't for me. So well, I'll it was, never forget that. Yeah, it was fairly common down in southern West Virginia for guys to get their dogs bitten by copperheads yeah. in the summertime. And a lot of times it was dogs just around the house. They'd come in around where the dogs maybe were tied out or whatever, and the dogs would try to kill them. The, cotton, uh, the copperhead would bite them on somewhere around the head, and their uh, head uh, would swell up real big. Yeah, but, I, it, th- I, you know, they always seemed to get over it okay. First time I ever encountered that, I was in Tennessee. I was 16 years old, and I heard of this dog dealer through Vinny Orlando, who's been dead quite a few years, and Vinny told me that how many good dogs he bought. Well, where I was staying wasn't far from there, so I I went over there one day to meet this guy. His name was Cass Haney from Hartsville, Tennessee. He was a real true gentleman, and uh, I found out I found somebody that was 100% honest. What he told you about a dog, that's just the way it was. And uh, anyhow, I didn't even have to hunt a dog, just tell you about it, and that's, you'll find it be the same thing that he told me about it. Anyhow, he had a dog tied up on a box here, and his head was twice the size. I said, what's wrong with that dog? A bad tooth or what? He said, nah, he got bit by a snake. He'll be all right in a few days. He thought yeah. nothing of it, nothing yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I had one snake encounter since I've been here in Florida. Well, I've seen snakes several times, but had one dog bit. Um, and it. I've, I think I mentioned it before. It made him sick. He was. It, it was co- a cotton mouth uh-huh. uh, in around a, an old cypress tree in the water. You know, and uh, so they're out there in summertime. Oh. There's snakes and mosquitoes and and thick briar thickets and all kinds I of sh- lovely things out there. Yeah, I seen a cottonmouth right above my head, laying on a limb. I was in the Okefenokee Swamp. Mm. I always wanted to see that place. Well, I wasn't too much interested in after seeing that. <laughs> we didn't bother them. We just kept on going. But coon yeah. hunters that I know down south Georgia and Mississippi, and they tell me they're the meanest of them all of rattlesnakes. Yes, they're they says they'll actually try and come after you yep. a little bit. Yeah, they will. Well, we don't have them up here. Uh, but uh, You want me to send you some? No, uh, keep <laughs> them all down there. Keep them all down there. Well, tell uh, tell me, you were talking to me earlier, and you were saying something about you had a story or two about. I uh, I got a story that I might entertain some coon hunters, and they, a lot of people know these guys. 
I don't know if you ever was into fighting chickens or went to <laughs> heard about them or oh, anything. Else. Well, I'm from but, Southern West Virginia, so that okay. should be all you need to know about right, that. Well, I never the, participated, but I'm very, very familiar. Yes. All right. One of the most well-known people in in the country uh, uh, is uh, Billy Rubel. He, he he had fighting chickens called Rubel's Reds. I found out how famous he was when I started going hunting with him. If they ever had a chicken, they knew Billy Rubel. He he sold chickens in the Philippines, and they were so good they they paid him to come over there and fight him for him. And that's how he made his living off of uh, chickens. Well, he called me up uh, one day. I didn't know him from Adam and. He didn't hear, well, somebody undoubtedly give my name and number. He he was losing chickens to coons, killing his chickens. Uh, despite them being fighting chickens, I guess a coon was a better fighter. And uh, <laughs> so he says, what can I do to get rid of these coons around my place? He says, I bought a coon dog. He ain't, she ain't doing nothing. She barks at him. I, I says, what kind of coon dog you got? He says, a red bone female. And they told me you're the red bone man. So I thought maybe you could tell me something. And I says, well, it's altogether different than what you want a dog for. And that I said, you probably get a good rat terrier do what you want it to do. And uh, anyhow, we became friends on the phone there. And I he he never coon on it. He just believed if he bought a red bone and that it would take care of the coons around his chicken pens and that. So he came up, he was from East Liverpool, Ohio, which was about seventy miles from here, sixty. And he came up and went hunting and he really enjoyed himself. We treated several coon and uh his dog got in there. Uh I don't know if he bought his supposedly a trained dog or a young one. I don't remember. But to make a long story short on that part, he hunted the dog enough to make it a grand night champion in probably a year's time. So he did pretty good. And she was a nice dog. And anyhow, somehow or other, he got he learned of Blaine McGill. He went to a night hunt. That's how it was. He went to a night hunt and met Blaine McGill when Blaine was some officer in Beaver Falls Club down there, which isn't far from the Ohio line. They became buddies and they hunted together, even though it was about 30 mile difference in distance. But they became, well, I've always known Blaine. He was always quite a bit of a character. He had good dogs, and everybody heard of the Lone Pine Strain. This is partly where it came from. He got a dog from, uh, I forget his first name, might have been Charlie Duvall down in uh, Maryland. And that's how Blaine got them Lone Pine dogs and, and became quite famous in southwest Pennsylvania. Lee Logan had him, uh, Blaine McGill, and quite a few other hunters. And uh, now uh, Randy Smith's dogs goes back to that stuff and so forth. Uh, anyhow, we became friends and would meet all three of us at different places uh, 
even uh, mileage for all of us, and we'd go hunting. And they says to me one day, let's find some place and go hunting and camp out on the, in the woods for a weekend. I says, I know a good place. I says, I go up there every year. And I stay, go up there Friday night, come home Sunday morning. And uh, I said, we'll, we'll see plenty of coon. The best part, it's all level. And every farmer wants a coon's killed. They don't want you to leave no coons. And I said, it's uh, nice hunting there. So we agreed to meet in a certain place. And uh, we went, I'll give this much of a hint because Pennsylvania guys all be flocking to this place. It's about 80 miles north of me. And uh, anyhow, uh, every farmer, nobody refused us. They all was glad to have you. And that's unusual anywhere you go, but they went them coons gone. And uh, one farmer I knew up there had five farms, and then his brothers had a couple. And uh, so we had plenty of places to hunt. One farmer used to let me bring an old Scotty trailer I had up there parked it by his barn. We had it there, and everything was ours for the weekend. And he was a good old guy. Picked me up and showed me some new woods. Well, I invited a young kid. Well, he, he was young then. Uh, his name was Dave Casperson. He just got out of Vietnam. And uh, this was, I'm guessing, about 72 or 71, somewhere around there. And Coons were bringing a little bit of money. So we went up there one weekend in November and all met at this place and I took a shotgun along and so did Dave I says we I ain't going to stay in that uh, Scotty camper all day I'm going to go rabbit hunting while I'm up there and that and he he brought his gun did the same I told Blaine and Billy if they want to bring a shotgun we'll go rabbit hunting well they they wasn't for that they said we'll sleep I says okay so we went hunting, and the deal was, me and this Dave, we'll go rabbit hunting, and whoever kills the least amount of rabbits has to skin all the coon that we got the night before. I said, that's a good deal. Well, we go out there. for There wasn't too many rabbits up there. I don't know what, but we only saw one, and we both missed the same rabbit. I couldn't believe I missed that rabbit, but I did. Well, we come to a pond out in a, a woods, and there was a duck on the pond all by himself. And every time we'd try and get close to make him fly, he'd go underwater and come up the other side. So Dave, he says, I'll go get that thing. Uh, and he went around the pond at the far end. The duck went underneath and come up on my side, and I was ready. Throw a rock at him, see if he'd fly off the water. And he ducked back under, went on Dave's side again. When he came up, well, I know, I think this was illegal. You can't shoot him on the water. He tried to make him fly, but he didn't. Dave shot him, and he got him. I, He says, I win. You have to skin the coons uh, today. I says, no, no. you got to have the game in your possession. I'm making the laws up as we go along. 
<laughs> Sounds yeah. like the one-on-one coon league that's on the uh, internet <laughs> these days. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and uh, I said, you got to have a, a, a game in your possession. I said, the boys back at the camp don't know you killed a duck. He said, well, I'll get it. He says, here. Now, this weather was mild, but it was November. He pulled out his wallet. He says, hold this. He left his pants on, his hunting pants on. He took his shirt off, T-shirt. He waded out in that water. I'm laughing so hard that I nearly rolled into the water from the bank. I couldn't believe it. That this guy was that nuts to go in the water after that duck. He got the duck and brought him back to the shore. He he says, uh, let's go back to camp. I'll see how much clothes I got to put on. Well, he forgot to bring very much clothes. And it was getting cold. And when I explained the story to Blaine and uh, Billy, they laughed for an hour. He says, we better build a fire. His teeth are chattered. <laughs> and we're, it's getting dark. And we're ready to go coon hunting. And, oh, we had 18 coon we got that uh, night uh, between the four of us. I'm out there skinning coon. They're building a fire, and they give them some of their clothes, uh, Dave. And Dave's, he's still freezing. Finally, we get all done, ready to go hunting. It's already about 8.30, and in the wintertime, you know, it's dark at 6. So we go hunting. We treat and kill maybe three coon, I forget. But it, it wasn't that cool for me and the other two guys, but Dave, all you could hear was his teeth chatter. He, and I, he didn't have false teeth either. He, he had regular teeth. But, and Blaine says, hey, we better quit. This guy's going to freeze to death or get pneumonia. So we quit early. We quit around 10 o'clock, broke camp, and we all headed home. Uh, I mean, you had to be there to see some of the stuff, especially him going out in the water for that duck. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it, but that was, that was one of the episodes with Moran up, up north. But uh, sounds like I a great go time. Up there. Yeah, I, I still a lot of coon there yet. I run into some hunters once in a while. I run into three guys from Tennessee up there hunting one night. And I couldn't believe it. In fact, they said, are you going to stay? I said, yeah, why? He said, if you want a motel, ours is paid for. You can have it. It rained every night on us, and we've had enough. We're going back home. Uh, and so we, Bruins was with me from New Jersey, so I, we got the motel for nothing. It rained on us, but we treated 13 coon that night. Hmm. Uh, we had a good hunt. And uh but anyhow, uh, these boys from Tennessee, I said, how'd you ever find this place? He said, we was up here and it just looked so good and it was all level. We knocked on a phone. We, we were coming from somewhere. I forget where he told me. He said, we asked a farmer if we could coon hunt there. He says, help yourself. And we've been coming here every year because we could get a young dog doing real good within a week up here. We're back home. It takes us forever to treat one or two coon. And so they've been coming up ever since. I don't know if they, I never run into them again. I had their name and uh, phone number, but I lost it. I don't know well, what happened to them. 
I got a question for you. Yeah. Now, I've probably never been right there in that part of the country. but now yes, we, If you hunted with Randy, you've been there. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we've talked about snakes and fighting uh-huh. chickens and rabbits and diving ducks. Do you have any porcupines in that part yes, of the country? Yes, I do. Yes, mm. I do. How do you deal with them? Uh, we don't have them right around home. They're just starting to come here. We killed one at our coon club, and that's only 14 miles from me, uh, mm. Laurel Highlands. Uh, that's a foothill of the mountain starting, and we're starting to get a few down there, and we got a couple night hunts. Dogs got into them and that. Mm. I've been fortunate. I, I probably only seen maybe less than 10 porcupines in my life. Uh, I killed one of them when I was a kid. I was only about 15 or 16, but I was up in the mountains and, and it was under some rocks and I shot it uh, with a shotgun. I was out squirrel hunting and uh, believe Oh, I got one other. That's right. I killed two. Now they say that's a poor man's food. If you're starving, well, my grandmother was from the old country, and anything I caught or shot, she'd cook it. And uh, I brought that one porcupine home, and I say, Graham, will you cook this if I skin it? And she says, well, we'll give it a try. And uh, I, we, we ate it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Uh, so I don't remember what it tastes like, but I know it wasn't. Uh, groundhogs, everybody talks about them. I think they're terrible as far as taste mm-hmm. goes. And that porcupine was better than the groundhog, I'll put it that way. But, <laughs> well, but, my only experience really with porcupines, I have seen them in Michigan up in the UP, yeah. up there and on uh, out bobcat hunting or whatever, a young dog would tree one occasionally. But uh, my experience with them was in Pennsylvania, but it was in Erie when they had the Blue Tick, National Blue Tick Days up there, uh-huh. the Blue Tick Breeders. And I went out on a cast, I think it was on a Thursday night, with the who was the guy was a Purina rep at that time, Les Rogers, and he was hunting a young. I knew Les. Did you? Yeah, and he was hunting a young blue female, and she caught a small one, and she got several quills in in her, but they were little quills, you know, they weren't. So we go back to the clubhouse, and well, they had forceps. Our guide and all had these surgical forceps that they use. It's like. Pliers, he was, kind of. he, hemostats. hemostats, that's it, hemostats, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 my terminology's off there, but at any rate, by the time the night was over back at the clubhouse, we'd pulled quills out of seven dogs <laughs> that night that came in there, I mean, well, those I southern to, dogs, a lot of them just had never, never been around a porky. You know? I went to a hunt up in Massachusetts, I judge a show up there for them. Oh, heck, that was in the 60s. And we was on a night champion cast. And much to my dismay, my best dog got in on it, too. Uh, a plot dog uh, struck it and baited first. And the Lambert brothers. Yeah, blame was, it on the plots. I know. I'm, I'm nah, used to it. It was. It was a plot <laughs> female. And I don't remember the man that owned it. 
and Lamberts was clear up there from Virginia with their walker. I hunted with him before, and I knew he was a good dog. And I don't know who the third guy, and I was the fourth. That we got, they got it so bad. Lambert's dog, cause the way he's marked, and a walker dog, it looked just like Santa Claus with a beard. I mean, he had him. The plot had him to war. The plot died from it. They got him so far down their throat. It was in the magazine, a printed article, and full cry back mm-hmm. in. And um, anyhow, uh, I told the vet. I said, just give, knock my dog out, give me a hemostat. I know what to do. And he, I said, because I want to get on the road. And he did do that for me. He just knocked my dog out. I pulled the uh, quills, not saying my dog was less danger than the rest, uh, but he had to leave. So I was done in 20 minutes or so, and I headed back to PA. And uh, But that that was something. But yeah. that plot I read in the magazine where it died from mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the dogs don't like it when you pull no, those no, things no. out with that hemostat for sure. But, but uh, we're starting to get them. Not, not mm-hmm. heavy, uh, at least around here yet. But you go in the mountains, you're going to get them. And, uh, well, you know, the, that's kind of funny. Uh, that the porkies are starting to move down, I guess, and the armadillos are moving uh, up. Moving up, yep. yep. There's armadillos in Tennessee now. There never oh, yeah. was before. Yeah, yeah. my uh, dad's hometown there in Middle Tennessee, about 30 That's miles. That's where I used to go, Middle what town? Uh, Dixon, Which, around I, just west of Nashville. Yeah, I know where it's at. I got a uh, Wayne Plant lives in Dixon, Tennessee. So does... Uh, uh, the boy that had the rat attack dog, he moved up to that yeah, area. Buzz Lynch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And, uh, I know that they've been there for a few years now because just there on the, the road there that goes by my cousin's yeah. farm, there was one killed there. L- listen, listen to this. It's a true story. They're all true. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> me and my wife and kids uh, the kids were only about 10 years old then. We went to Grand America one year. And naturally, I took a dog. I hunted one night down there. And I went. we went on to uh, 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 Disneyland in Florida. We'd take the kids down there. And uh, I met a doctor, a veterinarian at Grand American. He was a blue tick man. I think his name was Hemiger. He's dead now. I know that. He gave me the keys to his house and everything. He said, nobody be there. You're going to Disneyland. I'm three mile away. You stay at my place. When I get home, we'll go Kunai. That was a hell of a nice deal for that guy to give, do that. Didn't know me from Adam. Yeah, Doc and, Heminger. He he was, yeah. I think it's Heminger. might have been Heminger. Close enough. Yeah, but, uh, but he yeah, blue, he was a he very, yeah, exactly. He was a very prominent figure in coon hunting uh, so okay. here in, in Florida, okay. for sure. Okay. Well, anyhow, we went to Disneyland during the daylight. And one, uh, one of them nights, I can't stand being in the house and not hear a dog bark. I said, I'm going to go out and find something, place to hunt. I put one dog in the truck, and I think I had two, but I left one at his house, in his kennel. 
I took one dog out and I found an orange grove. And I always mm-hmm. remember guys tell me, that's where you find a goon down there in the orange grove. I turned loose and the dog hunted all around that orange grove. And I didn't know where I was. I, I you know, I'm lost in five minutes, but I figured I got all night to find the truck. And, um, <laughs> there were no garments in or anything else. This was in the 60s. And, uh, well, the first Grand American they ever had was 1966, and that might have been the year. I'm not sure. But anyhow, uh, I uh, I give it up. I, dog never opened up. I put him back in the truck and went home. Oh, right before I left, a car pulls up. A guy and a girl get out. A guy was probably in his 60s. A girl was probably 16 or 18. I don't know. Uh, I assume it was his daughter. They opened the trunk of car. Every kind of dog you could think of come out of that trunk. And they were going back down that orange grove to tree some possums and coons. I I was going to stick around, but I didn't. I don't know (laughs) if they got anything or not. That would have made me feel bad if they got a coon tree. Well, Uh, that's that's a a common way for some people back over the years oh, yeah. to hunt yeah, I know is that. just with a lot of dogs. I went uh, home with a kid. From, I was in college in Lakeland, Florida in uh, 66 and 67, and I went home with a kid from Mississippi, and uh, he said, well, we got, you know, we'll go coon hunting. So uh-huh. we did, and that was the deal. I mean, they had a collection of dogs, and uh, this one will tree, this one will trail, uh, this these bunch will run deer, these will run fox, you know. But you know the thing about hunting in those orange groves is it's the time of the year. If you get in there when the oranges are ripe, you know, and that's in yeah. usually like December or January in that part of the year. That's where the the citrus fruit, as it's called down here. Uh, is ripe and that's when the coons like them you know they feed on them and, and i'm sure they do i'm yeah, sure they yeah. do a uh, gg harris when mm. uh, he lived in florida he used to tell me that's where he did all his hunting in, oh yeah in the orange groves uh, yeah he but, was involved quite a bit when they was it the acha world hunt they brought down here or something yeah uh, uh years ago i know tim ball i mentioned him on last week's uh, podcast and uh he had a dog that he called log chain leroy yeah <laughs> yeah and i think he was involved in that that maybe final or whatever but oh yeah yeah well it's well we covered uh quite a few subjects here we talked about the heat we talked as i said about snakes and fighting chickens <laughs> and rabbits and ducks and porcupines uh-huh. and armadillos any other animal stories <laughs> well i'll think of something but uh well, uh like to say but some of the characters i have with billy rubo and mcgill they were characters uh McGill, uh, I had a boy used to go with me to night hunts. He thought he was Mr. Well, he did compete in them tough man contests. Oh, and he yeah. didn't do, he didn't do bad. He blamed McGill was always up for uh, a wrestling match or something like that at a night hunt. And uh, he found out this boy I brought down was supposed to be pretty good. 
and him and him and Blaine are out there wrestling in front of about fifty people, entertaining us. And and the best part about Blaine was probably getting in his mid forties at the time, and this guy's only in his twenties. So there's a big difference there. But uh, they were characters. <laughs> well, that that brings up a story to me, too. And I just mentioned the guy, Tim Ball. Everybody uh-huh. knows who Timothy Ball was. Yeah. We had a field rep when I was at UKC named Joe Turlington. And Joe was from down there in Texas, uh, maybe Oklahoma, but I believe it was Texas. And he was a character. He he was a humorous guy. And of course, you and I have talked in the past about Fred Lubert. He was a field rep during that time and all. Yeah. But Joe was telling the story about they were going to a hunt somewhere, he and Tim Ball. And they're driving down the interstate and they talk they start talking about who's fast who's the faster runner. And of course Tim Ball had Native American ancestry, you know. He uh-huh. I, I think they originally maybe came from Kentucky and all, but he he uh I think was American Indian, uh at least part of his his uh, lineage, but Joe was quite a character, and they were talking about who could run faster and all, and so he just pulls over in the median <laughs> in the interstate, and he said, I told Tim, I said, get your boots on, preacher. <laughs> I said, we're going to run. We're going to see who's fastest. <laughs> and they yeah. they pulled over off a four-lane highway and are racing <laughs> down the median. Uh, you're a coon hunters will uh, do me, anything. Me, you. Packy, me, Packy, and John Chilson was at a. It was a big hunt. I, I might have been the U.S. Championship at that time. I don't remember, but it was in Ohio. I know that. And there was a racetrack there for horses. And uh, Chilson says, "Come on, Moran, I'll race you." Well, I was on a track team in high school, and I was not bragging, but pretty good. And uh, and I thought I could beat him. He's so big, and he was starting to get heavy. I, I was. Packy was a judge in the, He stood up in the stands, and he said, "When I drop my handkerchief, you take off." And we're watching him. We take off. I, I had children by oh foot anyhow, maybe a foot and a half, and we're making a bend. I had loafer shoes on. One of my shoes came off. <laughs> And uh, Packy hollers, uh, "You're not, uh, you're nullified." Uh, Moran threw a shoe, <laughs> and oh, that, that was a day. So we were carrying. Well, you know, I, Fred, I got one. I, got one that, oh, go yeah, I just thought of Packy and children. We went to Tennessee one time to a Redbone hunt. I talked them into going down there. I said, "Let's go down there." And I said, I know everybody in that area. I says, uh, uh, we'll have a good time. And there was a red female down there that I heard quite a bit about. She had won a couple hunt. So I took some money with me to buy her if I could. Uh, when we get down there, we I don't know why, but what time of day we left. But when we got down there, it was 11 o'clock at night. We're looking for a place to stay. We went to the motel there. There was only one in town. It was the town of Carthage, Tennessee. And um, anyhow, they were all filled up. 
Well, that figures. I just, I had one of them Chevy Suburbans at the time, a three season where the back seat was out for a dog box. And I figured I ain't going to sleep in no truck. I want a motel. We pull up to get gas at this gas station. There's a good looking girl there pumping gas. I says, Hey, ma'am, do you know any place that has a motel around here close by? She says, uh, uh, she named a motel that we already went to. I said, they're filled up. She says, well, there's a hotel right up the street. It's named Hotel Walton. I thought, okay, we'll give that a try. We go up there. Now, Packy and Chosers big boys, as you know. Absolutely. But the audience <laughs> don't know. They're, they're heavy set. Yep. Anyhow. We go up there, and there's a desk clerk here. Now, just by the looks of this place, when I walked in, I was ready to make a U-turn. But I wanted a place to sleep. So, anyhow, we go up there. Here's what the rates were on the room. Uh, yeah, I could fix you up, but there's only one bed. It'll sleep two. I said, that's all right. These two could sleep together. I'll take a sleeping bag and sleep on the floor. Help be five bucks a piece. Does that tell you, does that tell you anything? <laughs> so we go up there. I throw my sleeping bag on the floor. I look under their bed and there's about eight empty beer cans there. <laughs> Cobwebs everywhere. Oh, and here's the best part. It had a community bathroom. Oh boy. And I, I hear this guy. Over in the bathroom, I've seen him come out of his room, walk to the community bathroom. I think he had TB or something in there. I don't know what, <laughs> but I pitied the poor guy. And children, uh, packies, every two minutes, you feel something itching you? You feel something biting you? <laughs> I said, shut the hell up and go to sleep. I can't sleep here. And the bed's bowed from the weight of them two in it. Uh, it's actually bowed. The uh, middle of it's almost touching the floor. And anyhow, they says, I can't. Children said, I can't sleep in this. I'm going down sleep in the truck. Packy says, me too. <laughs> and anyhow, I said, well, I'm going to stay here. I looked after they left. I got up and I looked out the window. If there was a fire in there or uh, anything, the window opens up against another brick building and there's nowhere to go but straight down and you're trapped. So the only way out is a way in the one door. And you hear people walking to that bathroom all night long. And I'm not bragging, but I took quite a bit of money with me in case I found something good to buy. I thought somebody come in here and hit me on the head, steal all my money. So I finally give it up and went down the truck, too. And Packy says, you hear what that desk clerk says? He said, that little guy's tougher than them big guys. He toughed it out for another half hour. So they... I'll tell you, we had some time there. Well, if and, that motel was too rough for, for three coon hunters, it must yeah, have been pretty rough. It was a, I, I've appeared in a lot of good ones like that, but that was definitely one to cup uh, for all. 
Oh, mm. and that's, an- that's another thing I wanted to tell you. He's got a million when, of them, folks. Go when, ahead, Fred. <laughs> when I uh, I sold my house a year ago, I, it was my wife died nine years ago, and I didn't need no four bedrooms, four baths. Uh, I figured get some little old shandy out in the woods. That's good enough for me, or something like that. Well, my kid told me about. He says, buy that trailer next to me. He said, it ain't bad. He said, but it's on sure sale. I said, it couldn't have been too good. It's on sure sale. We went out and looked at it, and we went. We were the only bidders on it. But they were too high on it. I said, I ain't giving that. I'll buy a new one, add a few bucks to them. But finally, they called us up about five months later and gave me a better price. So we went in partners and bought it. And we, I'm sorry in a way I did put more money in it, fixed it up, but now it looks real good. And I'm right to join his property and I keep my dogs in his kennel. He's got a good kennel there, and he's only got a couple beagles. He had a bobcat dog, but I put it to sleep this past year. He was getting old. He was a good good dog. But anyhow, uh, of all the trophies I won, I thought, I don't want to move all them trophies. They're just dust catchers. And I give a lot away through the years aunts and relatives, they liked the ones that had lamps on them or clocks or something like that. And I give a bunch away. I called two different coon clubs, uh, uh, Laurelville and uh, Blairsville Coon Club. I said, I'm going to throw all these in the dumpster. I said, if you guys want them, you can give them a club hunts or give them to for youth hunts or whatever. I says, there's, I know how many there. There's over 600. I said, come down and get them. Uh, they came down. They each took, I don't know how many they took, at least 100 apiece. And they're close to it. And the rest, I didn't have nobody for it. So I just, uh, I put them all in a dumpster. That's where they went. I kept about four or five cl- uh, clocks and I kept a key to the city. I said, because I used to brag to my kid, where'd you ever get a key to the city? Well, oh, that's for something coon on. That don't mean nothing. I said, well, I said, tell me how many people you know that got a key to the city for coon on. Uh, Jim Mathis, him and I are good friends, and I know he's the one that did it, but I got a key to the city for helping in a water racing when I went to Anderson, South Carolina. I used to swim dogs just like everybody else. I showed Jim a dog that did a lot of winning up here. I don't know how good he did down there, but uh, he's, I know he sold him, so he well, must Fred, not have been a winner. Yeah, we should tell our listeners who Jim Mathis was. Jim, he, go ahead. No, well, he owned the dog that won the ACHA World Championship twice, I believe. No, no he won the he won, uh, yeah, ACHA. ACHA. Yeah, yeah right. Carolina Casey, a walker right. dog. Yeah. He, um, he was a good dog. He, believe it or not, uh, not because it's Fred Miranda Redbone, man. He had a red dog that I thought was better than Casey, and he never got a chance on it. He died, and uh, not the dog, uh, Jim did. And mm. uh, he was a good guy for, 
to me, he took care of me as far as that goes. I stayed, my wife and I went down there and stayed at his place. And uh, he knew all them people that had, uh, um, uh, what do you call them, farms? Uh, I can't think all of All plantations? It. Plantations, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a lot of them going on. So he had the good hunting for himself, believe me. Yeah, and, for sure. Um, and he did promote that world championship water race there in and, Anderson. In, and uh, he's, a, he's, the one that, he's the one that started the original Grand American. Uh, and that to me, I don't care what the other experts say, Grand American is still the biggest hunt in the world far as I'm concerned, attendance-wise and everything else. And if you've got something to sell, that's where to go, Grand American. Well, it certainly does draw the largest crowds. There's no doubt about that. Anybody that's been to Orangeburg on a Saturday can attest. And it's starting to come back. You know, COVID uh, took a dent in it. And uh, (laughs) my Grand American this year was was a bummer because that's where I came. I I obviously already had it and was coming down with it when I went to Mm -hmm. Grand American. Ended up having to come home early. Uh, with a darn COVID uh, deal. But, yeah, that's uh, Jim Mathis uh, is a name that's synonymous with coon hunting down in that part of the country. There was, yeah, uh, No one built it up coon hunting like he did in the 60s. Uh, uh, he put them all on the map, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, you hunted back in the day with a lot of those uh, uh, well-known well, I, hunters and I, breeders I, I, we, and Joe House and all of them back in. Uh, in fact, I think Joe House won the first one, uh, Grand American. Yeah, I think so States. with House's Chief. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were other fellows that were very instrumental there, too. Uh, Ralph Hendricks, a plot guy. Yeah. Red Griffith, uh, uh, Troy Godwin, DeWitt there Wilson. There was a lot of plots down there yeah. in mm-hmm. that area. Yeah. Uh, I, hey, the people I met through the years— I, you couldn't relive that if I lived to be another hundred. I mean, uh, I met some of the best people in the world in coon hunting, and uh, I'm thankful for that. Well, uh, you know, Fred, I'm going to take a— And I met some real characters, too. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump up on the soapbox here just a minute and just kind of, as the guy said, express myself. Uh you know, there's a lot of things going on in coon hunting right now, especially due to the Internet. Uh, a lot of controversial things are put out there every day about coon hunting. Mm-hmm. A lot of drama, a lot of nonsense, quite uh, honestly. But, you know, this sport of coon hunting is supposed to be about fun. You know, I mean, it started out really as a necessity when people came to this country. You know, they needed a dog. They needed to Mm -hmm. catch fur. They used that fur for clothing and for trading. They ate the meat that that came underneath that fur. And and then, you know, it got to be, we got into the, uh, the various stages of it, you know, as uh, people were out there on the frontier, so to speak. You know, coon hunting was about the only recreation they had. You know, they didn't have TV and radio and 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 all the things that we have. And 
then it evolved after the war, you know, into this competition thing. And, and, and it's had its growing pains over the years, but competition hunting became an organized, uh, activity regulated by the registries. People tried to obey the rules. They didn't always, but they tried to obey the rules because the registries enforced them and they didn't want to get barred. So they couldn't participate. So they pretty much walked the line. Uh, but now I, I see, and I'm going to get criticism for this from the young kids, but I see a generation of people that don't have respect for themselves for the for the rules for the uh, uh, the sport of coon hunting, and that worries me a little bit. Uh, well, actually, more than a little bit, because if you don't respect something, you know it means nothing to you. And well, I, I'm afraid that the respect factor is going away in our game. Uh, you have illustrated here today, as we're talking, how you can have fun coon hunting. And some of your best experiences and best memories are with coon hunters and the things that you did around the hunt. And these were all harmless things. These weren't things designed to hurt someone or or to criticize someone or to be. I mean, the jokes we played on one another at a coon hunt. Uh, Hell, I still think of them every once in a while. Busts out laughing while I'm reading a book. I thought of something that happened 30 years ago. Sure. Of course, I had characters to loaf with me. And uh, <laughs> if, uh, it was, we used to have, I had a truck with a big camper on. Yeah. I got a heck of a deal on it. A guy sold me this camper. And uh, we'd, uh, I had boxes built inside, put the dogs in there, and we'd go in that camper. Well, there was usually six or seven of us going. Uh, we had the room, it'd sleep six. And uh, when one guy would be a designated driver, we had a kid that used to hunt with me all the time. He, well, he, he lives not far from me now, and he's been hunting with me again. Herman Deering, we used, Packy used to say, uh, let the young German drive. He says he, he don't play poker. He don't cheat or nothing. And me, Buck Lochner and all the rest would be back here playing poker all the way to the hunts. And uh, I'd try to make some entry money. And so we had characters. I'll tell you. And, and my camper, if you didn't open the tailgate, you can't open the back door of the camper. Packy's in there getting sleep. We knew he was in there. We shut the tailgate real quiet so he couldn't get out. And it's getting hot in there. And he opened the side window, and it looked like a big carp sucking air out of the window trying to get because <laughs> it's so hot. And everybody's up on the hill laughing like heck. And Packy in there breathing for air. Oh, the stuff that we pulled on that guy out there. Oh, and here's something you probably never heard of. We come from a night hunt uh, about two in the morning, headed home. It was somewhere in Pennsylvania. I know that, but I don't remember where, near the Ohio line. We're coming home, and I get a flat tire. I pull over on the side of the road. Well, if you knew Packy good, he was on the lazy side. So I knew I was in for changing that tire by myself. Most I could get out of him is hold a flashlight. 
So anyhow, I started changing the tire. Packy walked on the side of the truck, the driver's side. And like I say, it's two in the morning. And uh, a truck come by. At that time, they had them West Coast mirrors. That's the mirrors that stick way oh, up. Oh, yeah. He had his back turned to it. That mirror hit Packy in the back, going probably at least, I'm guessing, 30 miles an hour. Knocked him clear to the front of the truck and over the hill. And the first thing that went in my mind, it wasn't, is he dead, is he alive, was, how am I going to lift him? (laughs) I I couldn't think of, I knew I could. Fortunately, he crawled on all fours back up the hill. The other truck did stop. They were coon hunters. They dozed off while driving. That's some of the dangers of doing this game all night long. And um, anyhow, he says, I'll I'll be all right. He says, I'll be all right. Well, he was hurting. I knew that. That mirror was smashed, and it came to Guy's door in, too. Hmm. And uh, I seen him three days later. Naturally, he didn't go to work. He's missing work. And he took his shirt off and showed me. I'll tell you what, it's just like in the pirate movies when you see them pirates, they get 50 lashes. It looked mm. like he got 500 lashes. I, I don't know how I'd even be able to walk. And boy, he got clipped good there. And, um, hmm. but Coon Hunters, I says, what are you going to do about this? He said, I ain't going to sue the guy or nothing. He's a coon hunter. That was his first words. Isn't that something? That speaks to the fraternity that we have here among coon hunters. And and we know we kind of, if we don't look out for each other, nobody else is going to look after us for sure. And that also speaks to what a great guy down deep uh, Larry Packy was. You know, he he was big and and imposing in size and, and all that. And when you saw him walk in the building, you might not have thought, that he was the sharpest knife in the drawer. But if no, you sat down I, and I tried to. I Fred Lubert, or not Fred Lubert, Fred, uh, uh, your old boss. Miller. Uh, Fred Miller. Miller. I told Fred Miller, you'll be surprised. He'll, he'll be the, uh, quite a surprise to you in UKC. I says, he'll, he might be running UKC in another year. <laughs> <I told him. laughs> oh, he, he was brilliant. And the thing that impressed me so much about Larry, and we've talked about him before, took care of his sister and his sister's yeah. kids. All, and, his, all, and, all yeah. the kids. All yep. the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of those friendships that we talk about so often, you know, that yeah. would just never, ever be forgotten. Well, Fred, we've had a great visit here today. Did you have a story? Well, last night you said it was too hot, and you guys quit and came in early. Uh, well, last night I hunted by myself. Oh, what yeah. that? I went to the state game lands. The only thing I like about the state game, game lands, it's safe. No car is going to get your dog there. Yeah. Uh, there's one road in, one road out. And now they do uh, occasionally kids come there and speed. But uh, as a rule, nobody's there. You more or less got to yourself. There's two houses on the whole road. And one of them's way back in the woods. And the other one 
they just don't bother nobody. Anyhow, that's why I like to go there. I know I'm safe and the dogs are safe as far. But they got out of pocket too fast, 700 yards, and I couldn't. And when I found out where they were, eh, there used to be, believe it or not, it's a dead end road where they're at, and they, they call it uh, Crick Hills. It's nothing but rock ledges. That's where all the snakes are. It's nothing but rock ledges. There's coons in there. And they're killed a lot, but there's always going to be coons there because three-fourths of people won't hunt it. And I hate when I, my dogs get down there. But you could drive a truck, but you need definitely four-wheel drive and it better be high off the ground. I took my trucks in places last night, and people know that I'm known for this. I'll take a truck where you won't even think about taking one. And uh, if I can drive to that tree, I drive to it. Well, believe it or not, I got real lucky last night. There's one house at the end of this road, and the guy used to sell cars. Who would even find him where he lived? It was Parker's used cars. And the only customer I ever knew that bought a car there was Larry Packy. He bought three of them off him. And Packy <laughs> bought, the guy changed the battery. When Packy looked at the car one day and went back and bought it three days later, he says, how about putting that other battery back in there that was in there before? <laughs> the guy switched batteries on Packy, he caught him. But he's still, him and the, that's the only customer old Parker ever had. Now, I don't know if he's still living. Somebody's in that house. They had no trespassing sign. Oh, I've paid no attention to him as usual. I drove <laughs> right past him, and I drove. I got within 88 yards of the tree, and I couldn't tell you. I walked over there across the creek and shined a tree and seen 10 coon up there, but I didn't. My dogs are trained to a whistle. I blowed the They'd been there over an hour and a half. I blowed the whistle. Come on. And they both came over and put them in a truck. I says, I like, uh, it was a black guy hunched with me one night. We had two dogs tree on a creek or on a, a cliff. And, uh, and he said, Uncle Freddie, how are we going to get up to them dogs? I said, we're not going to get up there. He said, well, how are you going to get them? I said, watch this, Gray. He didn't know I was working the dogs with a whistle all the time. I blowed that whistle. He seen them dogs go up the cliff more and hit a trail and came back. He said, that's worth a thousand dollars. I said, two thousand, Gray, two thousand. <laughs> well, I having see. a handle on one sure does make a difference. That's for it sure. certainly does. Yeah. It certainly does. Well, Fred, sure. uh, did you go to any of the Red Bone Days events? No, I didn't. I haven't mm -hmm. been to either one in probably two years, but I intend to go to one sometime soon. Yeah, well, I that, don't know. that'd be good. Uh, you need to do that. I, I hear, though, the only bad part, what I heard, I don't know how true it is, they're going to be only a week apart and both in Indiana. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope well, these get... associations need to get together for sure yeah, and work out those yeah. conflicts. Speaking of Indiana, do you plan to go to Autumn Oaks? Yeah, I think I will go this year. Well, that's good, I, yeah. 
I think I will. Well, I, I missed last year, but I think I will go. Well, I'll be hanging around that vendor barn there somewhere where we, you. Uh, I thought you'd be in the trader. I thought you'd be in the trader's barn. And something good. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right i just wrote a uh, an article for american cooner magazine will be out in the august issue called what is a coon dog worth and we kind of talk about this stuff too but hey fred it's been great to visit with you i know that we thanks for calling yeah well we've missed you uh the last few episodes and that's all my fault not yours but i'm glad we got a chance to catch up here and uh uh, wish you the best as always uh, to my listeners remind me remind you that mr moran is 85 years old now still coon hunting six seven eight ten nights a week <laughs> yeah every night it gets dark pretty much but hey, uh Bring me an armadillo up. (laughs) Possum on a half shell coming up. Believe it or not, I I was in Oklahoma one time trying a dog, and I asked a guy, I says, as these dogs straighten everything, he says, I was trying a male and a female. He says, they will bother an armadillo. I said, that don't bother me because he ain't never going (laughs) to see one where I'm going. And yeah. the first thing they did, they got one on the ground there. I went, it was a big one. I didn't think they got that big. But I'd say this one was a good 14 pounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put it in a sack he had in the truck. I took it home, and I give it to my vet. Because uh, he, he had all kind of menagerie at his place. <laughs> he kept it. He had about six months, and it up and died. I don't know what from. He said mm-hmm. it was eating good and everything. But mm. it just died on him. Yeah. That guy there, if I give him an elephant, he'd keep it. He was a <laughs> heck of a veterinarian, too. So, well, that Fred, that's, that's great. There we go. We can add an elephant now to our list yeah. of animals we've talked about here today. Uh, well, it's always great to to hear from you, and I'll be calling soon, and we'll hear some more. I hope to see you in, see in September, maybe. Absolutely, Fred. We'll talk before then. Hi, friends. That's the great Fred Moran, the Redbone Man from the state of Pennsylvania. Glad to see have Fred on board again. Thank you. You're welcome, my friend. Okay, folks, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, we want to thank the people at W Hunting Supply. Uh, w Hunting Supply. Any needs that you have for your hounds or for yourself. Uh, some really neat logo wear, some swag, as they say. They got it all, dusupply.com. Uh, and uh, we'll just uh, leave it like we always do. If they ask you where Steve Fielder's hanging out these days, you tell them he's gone to the dogs. 